I am really excited for today's episode. You know, sleep, well, it sounds like a a boring subject. I mean, it's something that we all do, probably don't give much thought to. And and for some of us, you know, we kind of have the approach of, well, less sleep is better because then I'm able to go do stuff, right? And for others, we approach it as sleep is this delicious treat, you know, just something in life to savor. But very rarely do we ever think about sleep as a tool to better performance, sleep as a key to really leveling up our lives and and leading the life we want to live. And yet Dr. Michael Bruce, also known as the sleep doctor, he says, you change somebody's sleep and you change their life. In fact, in this conversation, I believe he will change the way you've been thinking about and approaching sleep because I know he has for me. So by focusing on both the quality of sleep as well as the appropriate quantity and appropriate quantity is probably not what you think it is, that there's a lot of myths and old wives' tales about that. Now, he talks about how we can increase our performance and really be at our best, cognitively, emotionally, physically, and even spiritually, by focusing on that better sleep. Now, he talks about a very practical five-step plan to improve our sleep. He discusses supplements for sleep, offers tips for waking up quickly and staying alert, even when most people are having a midday slump. And just a hint, it's not another cup of coffee. He's got a better approach for it. And he even covers dealing with jet lag, using sleep trackers, and sleep's impact on your immune system, which is kind of important here in these days of COVID. Now, he takes a full day's workshop worth of topics and distills it down into a very quick, very practical, very impactful 30 minutes. Can't wait for you to hear this one. Let's get started. Welcome to Imperfect Action. This is Brock Edwards. And of course, this is the show where we're looking for ideas, information, inspiration to help us get out of our own way, to help us get unstuck, to help us move forward, whether we're talking about in our business, our careers, our life. And so today I have uh, Dr. Michael Bruce on the show, otherwise known as the Sleep Doctor. And Dr. Bruce, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So hi, everybody out there. My name is Dr. Michael Bruce. I have a PhD in clinical psychology, and I'm board, I'm medically board certified in clinical sleep disorders. So that means that I took the medical specialty board without going to medical school and passed. I'm one of 168 people in the world who've ever done it. And uh, I became a sleep doctor, a sleep specialist guy. And uh, for the first, gosh, six, seven years of my career, I was a hardcore 30 patients a day, 15 sleep studies a night kind of person, really digging in and treating sleep sleep disorders, things like apnea, narcolepsy, restless leg syndrome, weird stuff like sleepwalking, sleep talking. I got all kinds of crazy fun stories. Um, and then I started to transition and learn more about what I call disordered sleep. And so there are a fair number of people, probably five, 6,000 in the United States that treat the sleep disorders, but there just aren't a whole lot of people who treat disordered sleep. And the way I define disordered sleep is kind of like this. If you went to that room in the back of the house that was dark and, and you turned out the lights and you were in there for five, six, maybe seven hours, and you came out and you feel like crap, that's disordered sleep. And that's what I fix. 
how'd you get into sleep to begin with? <laughs> like, like you became a clinical psychologist and then you said, okay, sleep, that's where it's at for me. So that's not what happened at all. So I'll tell you my story because it's an I feel like it's a, it's a fun and interesting one. So um, when getting your PhD in clinical psychology, there's a requirement um, to do a residency or an internship, which is a one year kind of uh, a stay at either a hospital or someplace where you get to actually practice what you've been learning for the last four years in, in clinical psychology. Now, to be fair, when I was studying at the University of Georgia, go dogs, um, I, uh, I wanted to be a sports psychologist. So I wanted to work with athletes and I wanted to help them throw faster and uh, you know run faster and do all these great things. Um, the number one program for residency in sports psychology of all places was at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi. To be fair, only the Harvards and the Yales and the Princetons kind of people got in there. I was a Georgia top 20 program, but it wasn't Yale, right? And, uh, but they had a track, a sleep track on the side that they were recruiting for. And I had worked my way through graduate school in the electrophysiology department. I'm the wonky, geeky goofball who likes to take machines apart and put them back together and see how they work. And I did that with all types of machines, EEG, EKG, any of the machines that doctors were using on campus to monitor vital signs. That, just for whatever reason, I had an affinity for that. Turns out I use the exact same machines for sleep. So once I figured that out, I sold myself as a sleep guy to this residency because here's what I figured I do. Just because you aren't going to let me in doesn't mean I'm not going to show up. So I figured, let me in on the sleep side, and then I'm just going to transfer in on the sports psych side and just kind of slip my way right in there. So I sold myself as the sleep guy, which I did fairly well. They accepted me to this prestigious um, residency uh, on the sleep side. And they said, all right, you know, start up first day, you know, you're going to do a six month rotation in sleep, and then we'll talk about what you're going to do afterwards. And so I said, okay. By the third day, Brock, I absolutely fell in love with clinical sleep medicine, and I knew I was never going to go anyplace else. Dude, I help people like this. It's unbelievable. You change somebody's sleep and you change their life. And I, I don't take that gift for granted. I, I feel like I just fell into this type of thing. And man, I got to tell you something like the way you can change a person's entire life simply by changing their sleep, it, it's truly remarkable. And as, as a clinical psychologist, I got to be honest with you, like sometimes it's weeks, months, even years before you see treatment gains. Not that way with sleep. Sleep's a pretty definable scenario. And once you start to really understand how to pull the levers and push the buttons for people, it can be pretty rewarding. So tell me a little bit about that, that changing people's sleep changes their lives. Because I, I think, and I could be wrong about this, that sleep is you know sometimes considered an afterthought. You know, It's just this Oh, part, 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 part of our life where when we focus on changing ourselves, we focus on, well, all the things we do while we're awake. So mm -hmm. when you start changing the way people sleep, how does that show up in their lives? Yeah. So that's a great question. So, so, uh, you know, look, I've got people who tell me all the time, I'll sleep when I'm dead, right? You know, uh, who needs sleep? Sleep's a waste of time. Actually, Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb, um, it, it was one of those people who said sleep is a waste of time as far as he was concerned. Right. And so when you when you start to kind of think through that as an idea, how can sleep actually change somebody's life? Remember, we sleep to wake. Right. We sleep to wake up, to have energy, to spend time with our friends, with our families, on our on our careers, to have purpose in life. And so when you think through all of those kind of ideas, then you start to wonder, OK, Michael, how does sleep affect the things I want to do when I'm awake? 
And let me tell you something, sleep affects it all. So physiologically, we know that sleep has a dramatic effect when we don't get it, or what we call sleep deprivation. Now, historically, most people used to think of sleep deprivation as not enough minutes of sleep, but that definition is really quite old. The new definition doesn't include just quantity, but includes quality as well. When somebody gets poor quality sleep, it affects them physiologically, it affects them cognitively, it affects them emotionally, and it affects them spiritually. So when you start to look at how does sleep show up for somebody, pick an area, dude, and I can show you it, tell you exactly how it's going to show up. So I have a, a very fancy runner's watch, and uh-huh. uh, one of the things that it does, uh, besides tell me how slow I run, is... <laughs> It, uh, you know, it, it measures sleep basically. And it mm-hmm. just did a couple levels, like really deep and not so deep sleep. I, I forget yep. the exact categories. How accurate are those things? They're not. Um, to be fair, I wor- I've worked with almost every tracker on the market and full disclosure, I'm probably going to be joining the scientific advisory bo- board of a company called Aura, which makes a, mm. a ring that I'm wearing uh, currently for tracking. Here's the problem. It's not any of these companies' fault. Sleep's complicated right? If you want to measure steps, honestly, dude, that's a calculus equation, right? My daughter can figure that out by measuring your, the length of your leg and your gait, and then just understanding your movement patterns throughout the day. That's not hard. But if you want to measure sleep, what do you measure? Is it how quickly you fall asleep? Is it how quickly you get to deep sleep? How quickly you get to REM sleep? Is it how much REM sleep? Is it your number of awakenings? Is it the length of the awakenings? Do you have total sleep cycles? You kind of get the picture here, right? There's a ton of information that comes into this thing that we call sleep. So tracking it is not necessarily always easy. To be fair, you don't need a tracker to track your sleep. When you wake up in the morning, if you feel good, you probably slept well. If you don't feel good, you probably didn't, right? And so the like I'm a very basic, you know, factual kind of guy. I use a, a paper and a pencil to track my patient's sleep. Um, I have them download it and they write it out. And to be fair, It works and it works well. Having trackers can be very beneficial depending upon what it is you want to do. If you're a biohacker, if you're one of my celebrity clients that shows up and says, Michael, I need 5% more energy and we need to figure out how how to get it out of my sleep, I can do that. But that's a very advanced use of these types of tracking systems. And to be fair, it's not always so straightforward and easy to work with. I'll give you an example. I got a guy who I'm working with now and um, he's quarantined, right? Because we're in the middle of all of this craziness. And um, we're testing how different alcohols affect the depth of his sleep. So one night it was red wine, one night it was scotch, one night it was tequila. And here's what we were discovering. Number one, the suspicion was, is that dark liquors have more tannins and more sugars and can be more disruptive to sleep light or clear ones have less. And we actually found that in him. The only way we were able to discover it is by using a tracker because we tracked his sleep each night and then looked at what he did the night before and then looked at the depth of that sleep. Here's why I can do that even though the trackers are inaccurate is I don't look at the absolute data. I look at it relative. So what do I mean by that? So as an example, if my aura ring tells me that I got 14 minutes of deep sleep, I don't think I care as long as it consistently tells me that I got 14 minutes of deep sleep. If it tells me I had 14 minutes and 912 and 36, okay, now I'm worried about, I'm suspicious about the accuracy. But if it's consistently inaccurate, I don't think I care, right? So that's the way you could use these data in a, a probably a more 
a better way for you to actually figure something out about your sleep. Does that make sense? So, yeah, it does. So, I mean, you mentioned pen and paper, so not to get super geeky here, but hmm? is it just binary? Like, did you get a good night's sleep? Yes, no. Do you? So do here's what I do. And you know what? I, I'm happy to send you a sleep diary and you can put it in the show notes if people want to be able to utilize it for themselves. It's awesome. about 10 questions long. It's a, it asks things like, it asks you to collect data points. So what time did you get in bed? Is the big is the first question, and then in the morning, not at night, in the next morning, you write down a guesstimate of how long did it take you to fall asleep, number of times that you woke up, a guesstimate of how long you might have been awake, what time did you wake up, what time did you get out of bed? Because by the way, sometimes people will hit the snooze button, all that kind of stuff. Did you take any supplements? Did you take any medications? And how do you feel when you wake up? That's it, dude. That's all I'm interested in because with that, those pieces of information. Not only can I track how much sleep a person is getting, but based on them telling me how they feel in the morning, I know the depth of that sleep pretty easily. Now, if I want to really fine tune it, I can, um, again, using these trackers, even if it tells me again, that it's 14 minutes of deep sleep, if I can just increase that, it doesn't have to be to what we would consider to be the correct levels, but just showing that increase can be very important for people as well. All right. So there's a lot going on there. I mean, so the advice used to be, you know, get eight hours of sleep, but you, that's a myth. You've, you've, you've indicated it's a lot more complicated than just my eyes shut for eight hours. Well, let's be clear. Eight hours is a myth. That's okay. an incorrect statement. And let me tell you why. The average sleep cycle is 90 minutes long. The average individual has five of those. Five times 90 is 450 minutes. And if you divide that by 60, it's only seven and a half hours. The math doesn't even work on eight hours, okay? So I'm here to tell you, I'm the sleep doctor. I go to bed at midnight. I wake up at around 6.15 every day. So I get about six hours and 15 minutes. I'm the sleep doctor and I get six hours and 15 minutes of sleep. So let me be clear to everybody out there who's listening. Your sleep need is individual. It will change over the course of time. It will also change over your medical situation. So if you become sick, if you catch COVID, something like that, your sleep needs will increase. As you get back to normal, then your sleep needs will go back to decreasing. Here's an interesting thing that most people don't know, but if you keep a consistent wake-up time and bedtime, the amount of sleep that your body physically requires begins to shrink because your circadian rhythms are so in tune and they know exactly what they're doing that they wake you up and put you to bed exactly when you should be. And then everything starts to shrink because your body is getting all the stuff it needs. One of the biggest things that I work with with my clients as a high performance sleep coach is actually helping them shrink the total amount of their sleep merely because the quality has improved so much, they don't need as much. Along those lines, you know, I was thinking about sleep as two things. One is a skill and one is a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And it's so both. Yeah. So, so you, you've kind of touched on a little bit, but so how do I improve my sleep at just as a skill? Uh -huh. So here's what I would tell you is um, sleep is a skill set. There's no question about it. I believe that sleep is a performance activity. Okay. And um, if you're going to have a performance activity, then you need to understand what, what the instrument is and how it can perform and what are the parameters for those performance and how does the environment affect that performance? So as an example, you mentioned earlier that you're a runner. I'm a runner as, as well. I can do a 5K wearing my flip-flops and torn cutoffs with a you know, T-shirt and a boombox on my arm, but my time's not going to be too good. But if I've got my ASICs on, my dry fit wear, and I've got some good tunes going, I can pull out 730 miles all day long, right? Why? Because I've got the right equipment, which is affecting my performance 
of, of my activity. The same holds true with sleep. If you really want to sleep well, don't sleep in a crappy bed. Don't sleep on a three-year-old pillow. Don't have, you know, nasty sheets. Don't have lots of light around. Don't have lots of sound around. I mean, this isn't rocket science, man. Like I tell people all the time, create a sleep environment that's, that's works for you. It doesn't have to have every single thing that everybody is recommending, but do yourself a favor, look at your environment and make sure you have the right equipment for sleep. That's step number one. Step number two, I've got a five-step plan that'll actually perfectly layer in right here. Okay. So what is the first thing that you're going to do after you've create, looked at your environment is create one wake up time and stick to it. Notice I didn't say bedtime. I said, wake up time. I don't honestly care what time you go to bed, but your circadian rhythm resets itself every single morning when your eyes open and sunlight hits those eyeballs. So that's what you want to do is have one wake up time. So to be clear, Brock, if you wake up at 6.30 during the week, I want you waking up at 6.30 on the weekends. I get it. It sucks to be up when nobody else is up. But if you keep your body tuned, you actually won't need to sleep more. So step number one is stick to one wake up time. Step number two has to do with caffeine. So I'm not the guy that says you can't have caffeine, although I probably should because we know that caffeine actually has a half-life of six to eight hours, but a complete extended life can be as long as 48 hours. So the reason that I tell people to stop caffeine by 2 p.m. is because if you can get half of it out of your system in about eight hours, that has a tendency to fall into that 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock realm of when most people are trying to fall asleep. Um, so if you can, Step number two is to stop caffeine by 2 p.m. Step number three has to do with alcohol. Um, so there's a really big difference between going to sleep and passing out, right? So we wanna avoid the passing out and we wanna allow for the going to sleep. Alcohol does a great job of making us feel sleepy. Unfortunately, it wrecks your deep sleep. Deep sleep, what we call stage three, four sleep, turns out to be your physical restoration. That's where all of the growth hormone is emitted. That's where all the cellular repair occurs. And that happens in the first third of the night. If you're drunk and you fall asleep, you don't get any of that, right? Your brain literally says, no, thank you. And you get light, crappy sleep. The other thing that happens is you start to go to the bathroom quite a bit, which causes dehydration. Most people also don't know that sleep in and of itself is a dehydrative event. Just breathing, you lose almost a full liter of water from the humidity in your breath. So if, you, if you're drinking alcohol before bed, dehydrating yourself, then you have sleep, which is a dehydrative event, you're going to wake up with an extremely dehydrated body. And then what a lot of people do, they grab a cup of coffee, right? Which is also a diuretic, right? So you really shouldn't be doing anything like that. You should be drinking water in the morning. I'm going to give you a quick morning routine in just a second. So step number three is to stop alcohol three hours before bed. That means if you have one glass of alcohol, you should drink one glass of water and you should wait one hour. If you have two glasses of alcohol, you should drink two glasses of water and you should wait two hours. Something interesting happens to the human body when you get over two to three drinks. Um, with women, uh, they have a tendency to energize, which is not what you want before bed. Um, and with men, they have a tendency to get aggressive which is also not what you want before bed. So what I'm telling people is give yourself this three hour barrier. So if your bedtime is 10 o'clock and you can stop drinking by seven, you're not gonna feel the effects of alcohol. You're gonna enjoy a great glass of whatever or two. Um, you're not gonna get too loopy and you'll probably get a great night's sleep. Step number four has to do with exercise. The single best way to improve the quality of sleep is with daily exercise. Good news is you don't have to run a marathon. 
Um, here's the bad news is when we're in times like now with coronavirus and um, COVID and, and being stuck and quarantined indoors, people are just not moving. Um, it's really pretty impressive. I actually saw a celebrity tweeted out the other day. They said, I've, I've gone 200 steps and it's two o'clock in the afternoon, right? And that's really what's happening is we're not even getting out and walking anywhere anymore. We're like stuck in our home office. And so what we're seeing happen is this overall level of activity is lowering and the increase in uh, sleep disruption is happening quite a bit. Our bodies need to move. That's how they are healthiest. If we're not moving, we're not going to be sleeping. However, if you move too close to bedtime, it can affect your ability to fall asleep because it causes a core body temperature increase. We always want our bodies to be cooler before sleep, not warmer. So step number four is exercise daily, but wait four hours um, before bed after you exercise. Otherwise, the heat that you're generating inside your internal core is actually going to prevent you from being able to fall asleep. And my final step, uh, and I'll summarize them again at the end, is to actually, when you wake up in the morning, grab a bottle of water, right, because you're already dehydrated, walk over to the window and get some direct sunlight, okay? If you can be outside, walk outside and get direct sunlight. When sun hits a particular cell in your eye called a melanopsin cell, it will turn off the melatonin faucet in your brain. That turns out to be really important for brain fog and those, those like logy feelings in the morning. So I'm going to go through the plan again. Step number one is stick to one wake-up time. Step number two is stop caffeine by 2 p.m. Step number three is to stop alcohol three hours before bed. Step number four is to stop exercise four hours before bed. And step number five is to give the sun a high five every morning and get 15 minutes of sunlight. That's a really simple plan, won't cost anybody a dime, and I guarantee you, you'll get better sleep. So weird question for you, Dr. Bruce. So you, away. you mentioned that uh, the sunlight has an effect on our eyes. What if Just, we wake up in a place there's no sun in the mornings? Well, actually, similar, I was going to ask you, so sunglasses during the day, does that ultimately affect sleep at night? So it shouldn't. Um, however, one of the things that I do have people, I'm glad you asked that question because it's an interesting one. One of the things that I have people do is instead of taking a coffee break at, you know, 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, because a lot of people start to feel run down, actually your brain is producing melatonin at that time. Um, there's a small drop in core body temperature that occurs, and that's why that happens. If you walked outside instead of grabbing a Snickers bar or a cup of coffee, and you got some sunlight during the day with your glasses off, 15 minutes, that sleepiness feeling, right out the door. Hmm. It's pretty awesome. So you don't have to actually have those extra calories or that extra caffeine. All you need is a little bit of sunlight. So those would be the instances where I'd say maybe not wear your sunglasses. But to be clear, I'm not asking people to look at the sun. I'm just saying go outside and enjoy the fresh air, get a little warmth on your skin, get a little vitamin D. It'll tell your brain that you're awake. So are there any supplements that help sleep? Absolutely. It depends on what you mean by a supplement. So let's, let's, there's actually four different categories of different things that you can take that could be helpful for sleep. So let's start with the most stringent, which would be prescription medication. To be clear, I'm not a big fan of prescription sleep aids. However, I will tell you that there are many instances where these are completely appropriate and should be used. If you and your doctor have come to the decision that you want to use a prescription sleep aid and you feel comfortable doing that, you should feel comfortable doing that. I am not here to talk you out of that. I am here, however, to tell you that in many cases, some of these prescription sleep aids can have some pretty horrible side effects and can have some pretty big addictive potential. 
You need to be working with somebody who's watching you closely and not just writing prescription after prescription after prescription, but really working with somebody to help improve your skill set of sleep so that way you don't stay on prescription sleep aids. My big thing with prescription sleep aids, I don't mind them if you're using it to break the cycle of insomnia. But if you ain't using it to break the cycle of insomnia and you're just sticking somebody on them time after time, you're not doing them any good. They have a sleep problem and now they have a pill problem on top of it. If you look at the OTC stuff, like stuff that you find in the drugstores out there, most of the PM medications are actually um, analgesics with Benadryl. Um, so Benadryl or what's called diphenhydramine is an antihistamine um, and it makes people feel a little bit sleepy. So you're, they're using the side effect from diphenhydramine to make them feel sleepy. Here's the data. If you're regularly using diphenhydramine, there's a significant amount of data to show that there is a high relationship with Parkinson's, dementia, and, and um, Alzheimer's um, from significant use of these. So if you're one of these Tylenol PM people and you've been taking it for years, stop. Um, find yourself something that's a better option. Talk with your doctor about it. Don't stop cold turkey. To be clear, you're just going to be up for three or four days and then you're really going to be miserable. Um, go, looking at supplements, here's what I would tell you is there's a lot of things that our bodies are low in that can be helpful for sleep. Two of them are magnesium and vitamin D. If you're going to look at supplements, that's the place to start, right? Is let, Let's make sure that all of our levels are up to par and where they need to be. Most people are deficient in magnesium and vitamin D because our soil isn't very good and they're not getting out in the sun as, as much as they should. I personally take 250 milligrams of uh, magnesium every day. Uh, I, some people prefer it in the evenings. I take mine in the morning. I also take 5,000 international units of vitamin D3. It's a little itty bitty pill, even though it says 5,000 units, it's itty bitty teeny tiny. It's super easy and it, I can definitely feel a difference in my energy level when I don't take it. Um, those are the two places that I start with people from a supplement standpoint, just to make sure that their bodies are up and ready to go. Now, let's say that you turn to me and say, well, Michael, I've got all that stuff going on, but I'm not, I don't feel that the quality of my sleep is there, or I'm having a hard time falling asleep, or I'm not falling asleep at the right times. There are different supplements out there that can be helpful with this. The biggest one is melatonin. So if lots of people have heard of melatonin, to be clear, melatonin is a hormone. Okay, you wouldn't just go out to the local health food store and buy testosterone or estrogen and stick it in your body. So be careful when you're using melatonin. It is not as safe as everybody seems to think it is. So aside from the fact that it's a hormone, there was an interesting study done two years ago where they pulled 15 bottles off the shelf, different brands. What they discovered, not one of the brands was accurate in there in how much was in the pill. So be careful where you get your melatonin from. Also, guess what? It's not regulated by the FDA. I can make it in my garage and I can sell at the local health food store and nobody's gonna stop me from doing it. So you really wanna make sure that the purity standards are there. But here's the most important part about melatonin. Melatonin is not a sleep initiator. Melatonin is a sleep regulator. Michael, what the heck does that mean? Melatonin doesn't make you fall asleep. It makes your brain think it's bedtime. Those are two incredibly separate processes in your brain. Melatonin affects what's called your circadian rhythm. What um, a lot of other things do is they affect your homeostatic drive for sleep. The I'm feeling sleepy feeling is not affected by melatonin at all, right? So you need both in order to sleep. So Michael, if I'm, let's say I'm a shift worker and I'm trying to sleep on a different time and I'm, I've shifted my, my time with melatonin, but I'm not falling asleep yet, what do I do? There are some supplements out there that can be helpful. Um, L-theanine is one that a lot of people have found useful. GABA is one that a lot of people have found useful, although a bit controversial. Um, magnolia bark, uh, jujubicide, there are a whole host of them. 
If you're interested in specific ingredients, head on over to my website at www.thesleepdoctor.com. Doctor's all spelled out. Go to my blogs, type in literally any supplement you can think of that you've heard about for sleep. And I've done about a 2000 word article where I'll tell you everything you've ever wanted to know about it. Then you can make some educated decisions if you want to take it or not. All right. So one of the things that you had mentioned was uh, waking up at a consistent time. Absolutely. I spent a a good chunk of my life traveling, a lot of it overseas. Mm -hmm. So when you're dealing with jet lag, when you're dealing with kind of that random schedule that some some folks have, what's the advice? How how do you get back into the schedule or... Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to give you and everybody who's listening to this podcast, a 100% easy way to completely eliminate jet lag from their lives and still travel wherever they want to travel. How about that? Nice. So I've been working with a group um, from, so let me back up. So full disclosure, I am a investor and a developer in an app called time shifter, T I M E S H I F T E R. Um, so I'm going to tell you what happened. Um, NASA called a buddy of mine up at Harvard and they, his name is Dr. Stephen Lockley. And they said, Steve, we got a big problem. We're on the space station. This is pretty interesting, Brock. I don't know if you know this. The space station moves at 17,500 miles an hour. Isn't that amazing how fast that thing is moving? Every 90 minutes, the sun rises and every 90 minutes, the sun sets for those guys and gals that Oof. are up there. Can you imagine how messed up their circadian rhythms are? <laughs> Well, that's what was happening is they couldn't sleep. And I mean, when somebody screws something up on the space station, people die, right? Somebody leaves the airlock open or some crazy stuff like that. Not no bueno, right? As they say. So what we did was, or actually Dr. Lockley did, was he used a combination of melatonin, caffeine, napping, and light therapy. And he actually created shifts for these people so that just like you would work in a 24-hour manufacturing, the, the astronauts had shifts that they could go to. Once he realized that he could do it with those four things very easily, he brought it down back to earth terrestrially and he stuck it into the Mercedes-Benz Formula One race car team. Those guys make it on the podium based on hundredths of a second. So they have to be razor sharp in everything that they're doing or people die for sure. Once we were able to tune it in with those guys, we made it commercially available into this time shifter app. I've personally used the app all over the world. I went to Portugal, Taiwan, Beijing, all within the last two years using this thing. And I'm going to tell you something. I didn't believe it at first. I was like, come on, guys, this is ridiculous. But it gives you a plan for two days before you leave. Okay. And and then you follow this recommendation. And in literally two days, it can shift you so that when you land, you are Johnny on the spot and ready to go. Timeshifter.com forward slash the sleep doctor will get you your first two jet lag plans for free. So there's a, there's a freebie in there for folks. Try it before you buy it type of thing. Nice. All right. So kind of last big question for you here. You bet. And you, you mentioned, you know, we're, we're in a time of the coronavirus, uh, lots going on uncertain in the world, a lot of anxiety out there. Anxiety affects sleep, affects my sleep anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. So what can we do? Like we're, we're doing all the, all that you said. Um, and if sleep is still a challenge just from anxiety, brains wound up, won't stop thinking about stuff, however it affects us, what can we do? So the first thing I want everybody out there to do is to head over to my website. I've actually created a landing page that is COVID specific. It gives very specific recommendations of what you should be doing to help your sleep before you get sick. It gives you recommendations on how to lower stress, and it gives you recommendations on if you do get sick, what to do. Let me give you that website, and then I'll explain some of the tips that are on there. It's www.thesleepdoctor.com 
forward slash sleep hyphen pandemic. If you go there, also you'll get a free downloadable um, uh, meditation for you to be able to help you fall asleep. It's actually one of my favorites. To be fair, it's my voice, just to let you know. Um, people always are like, Michael, is that you? Yeah, that's actually me. Um, but um, there's a lot of things that you can do. So the very first thing that I ask people to do, which isn't something that most people are thinking about, is take a media diet 90 minutes before bed. You don't need to know how many people were diagnosed with COVID in your town or your state or dead or anything like that. You need time before bed with positivity. That's, and, and I've got data to prove it. There's actually a great study looking at optimism before sleep. And what they discovered was when people have happy thoughts before bed, not only do they fall asleep quicker, but they have more pleasant dreams. A lot of people are experiencing some weird dreams right now. And let me tell you something, it's completely normal. Okay. I know there can be unsettling, but this is completely normal. This has to do with that lack of movement we were talking about earlier, which is disrupting sleep. It also has to do with the overall level of stress. Now, somebody might say, well, how stressed can you be? I mean, you know, people have staying in these nice homes and they've got all this area. Any disruption to your overall general activity level and confinement causes a significant level of stress. And by the way, there are new stresses out there now. I mean, people are worried about getting COVID. People are worried about their family members. People are worried about their careers. People are worried about the government bailout. I mean, dude, the list goes on and on and on. So don't be thinking about that stuff before bed. Think about something that's positive. So, okay, Michael, how am I going to do that? If I've got all these stressors, what do I do? A couple of things. This progressive muscle relaxation is awesome. Um, the other thing is hang out with your bed partner and think of something fun. So I have one couple and here's what they do. They think about the vacation that they're going to take once they get out of quarantine. There's actually data to show that forward-looking positive thinking, like planning a vacation, is actually helps reduce stress more than taking the vacation itself, right? So I've got another couple. They bring out a different photo album each night, and they look at the, the historic photos that they have with their kids and their family and their friends, different album each night, right? So again, it's about positivity before bed. If you don't want to do one of those two things, do me a favor, pull out a piece of paper and have a gratitude list. It's one of my favorite techniques. And I'm not some woo-woo guy who's, you know, getting all crunchy granola on you. I'm telling you something, it works, okay? Positive intent before bed helps you fall asleep and helps you stay asleep with more positive dreams. Give it a shot. You don't have anything to lose. I can tell you that right now. Nice. Well, people know where to find you, thesleepdoctor.com. Um, yep. Final question for you, a question I ask all my guests, and that is, how can the listeners help you? What, what would your ask of them be? So my ask would be that if you go to my website, thesleepdoctor.com, sleep slash pandemic, um, please go there and download the relaxation and tell everybody. I'm not trying to sell you anything. This is solid, good information to help you sleep, especially right now. Times are weird, okay? And everybody can agree on that. And sleep is one of the things that's gonna absolutely help get you through. Most people don't know this, but sleep is the easiest way to boost your immune system. So if people could do anything for me, it's go there, read the information, please, please, please follow the recommendations and share them with whoever you think can be, it can be valuable for. Dr. Bruce, thank you so much for being on the show today. Appreciate it. Thank you guys. And this is Dr. Michael Bruce wishing everybody out there sweet dreams. <laughs>